Well, good morning. Good to see you guys today. Welcome to Taylor's. I want to extend a very special welcome uh, to those of you who are guests today, whether you're here uh, or over in the modern service. We're especially glad that you guys are with us uh, over in the fellowship hall. And a very special welcome to those of you who are counselors with Pine Cove. I don't know if you guys are aware, but Camp in the City uh, begins tomorrow. And uh, we've got a group of counselors here from Texas uh, actually college students from all over the country uh, that are part of a ministry called Pine Cove and they are here this week to minister uh, to kids uh, this Monday through Friday so we're especially glad that you guys are here and I just want to encourage you guys to be praying for a great week of camp. Camp has had a huge impact on our family's life. As a matter of fact, speaking of Pine Cove, uh, we just got back from family camp. Uh, down at Chimney Point, which are new, is a new camp they just built on Lake Hartwell. They're based out of Tyler, Texas, and, and our family has been traveling out there uh, for nine years. And this was our 10th year to go, but with the new camp right here, we decided driving about an hour and 15 minutes, uh, beat driving two days uh, to go out to Tyler. But we had a great, great time at family camp this week. And speaking of that, the speaker... Uh, who was there this week that we went was actually a friend from seminary. His name was Brian Goins. And he said a couple things in his very first session about the topic of expectations. Talked about expectations and two things that were true. Number one is uh, we all have expectations, right? We've got expectations about all kinds of things. But the second truth is that most of the time, um, our expectations fall short of reality. That reality, if, if you, I tell you what, just do this real quick. Put your arm out just like this. That's an illustration that he shared with us that is simple, but I think gives you a good picture and a visual to capture what we're talking about. This is reality. Take your other arm and put it like this. All right, this is expectations. And here's what he said. He said, when our expectations are closer to reality, things are pretty okay, Right? But he said, when our expectations move further and further away from reality, then guess where we live in between here and there? Something called disappointment and discouragement. When our expectations, we have expectations uh, that might be here and reality comes in when we're confronted with it right here. And we have them about all kinds of things in life. It might be our career. We may pick a career and we take a job and we expect that things are going to go really well until one day we walk into a meeting and we find out that our job has been eliminated. Or we got overlooked for a promotion or a raise that we thought we had earned or someone had told, them, told us that we might receive. Uh, I remember in 2006, our family moved from Houston to Atlanta with expectations that we were going to be there for a while. But the reality was in 23 months, we were having to sell our house and pack up and move again because... I went into one of those meetings and was told my job was phased out and I was no longer going to be able to stay there. And so that brought us to Greenville. Uh, we have expectations about things around the house. Now, I told the first hour, I said, I am not at all a home repair man. I don't claim to be at all. I don't enjoy doing house projects, but I remember this, this one time. Uh, some friends had given us these, these, uh, these tables, these booths, kind of kind of that you find in like a fast food restaurant, okay? You might find it like Dairy Queen or McDonald's or something. And so they, they were going to get rid of these and actually throw them away. And they said, okay, well, we'll, Chambly, 
said, hey, we would love to have those because we'd love to put them on uh, our sun porch. He was making this little cafe area and be a great spot for the kids. And he's like, well, have at it. And I was like, okay, well, it's not going to be a big deal. We'll just get them in and, and take them to the house and set them up. Well, when we got to the house, we found out the tables were this wide and our door was this wide. So we had to take them apart. I'm like, okay, can't be that hard, you know. And so we took them apart and you got pieces everywhere. And about two hours later, I'm sitting there having lost my sanctification. I was angry. I was frustrated. And I literally took the pieces of that table and I threw them into my side yard out the door. One of my kids, I'm not kidding, went running and hid in the closet like, Daddy's mad, just freaking out. You know, it's scary. I, ha I had expectations that it was going to be easy and simple, and reality hit me right here, right? We have expectations about church. We have expectations about our health, expectations when it comes to retirement or parenting uh, or marriage. I remember um, my dad telling me the story one time. He went to uh, Northgate Soda Shop. It was on North Main Street. He'd go down there and get a hot dog at lunch sometimes. And, and he uh, was sitting there having a conversation with a friend one time. And they, somehow they got to talking about expectations of cleanliness when they got married. And my dad would say, yeah, I, I got married to a, a gal I called Miss Tidy. He said, he said, I'll get a drink of water. I'll put it on the counter. I'll turn around and come back. It's already in the dishwasher. And he said, man, that's nothing. He said, I get up in the middle of the night to go to the bathroom. He said, I come back. My half side of the bed's already made, you know? <laughs> like expectations you're going to clean or you're going to vacuum two or three days a week and the other one's saying hey this is a self-cleaning principle is how I operate we let things get to where you track out as much as you track in right and so you have expectations when it comes to things like that but you know there's another area of our life where we have expectations and we have expectations of God we have expectations of the Christian life. We have expectations of what the spiritual life is going to entail. And uh, we have expectation that if we love God, if we serve God, if we obey God, that, that life is going to go well. We'll live this upwardly mobile spiritual experience until all of a sudden we're just smacked with reality when pain becomes very personal. And it causes us to begin asking some questions about God. Does he love me? Has he forgotten about me? Is he aware? Is God really a God who's in control? Is he just? I mean, we, we have those kinds of questions when we're confronted with challenge and difficulty when our expectations fall short of reality, right? And so today, as we jump into our text, as we continue this series on the life of Peter, uh, we're going to take a look at a, at a an experience, this setting. They say a picture is worth a thousand words, and I think that's what we have here, Matthew chapter 17. If you want to take your Bibles and go ahead and open to Matthew 17, do that. And what we're going to realize as we look at this, we're going to learn something about Jesus and about Peter. We're going to learn something about ourselves, uh, but we're going to learn that Peter had some expectations, okay? He, Peter had some expectations, and they need to be brought under God's authority of his reality of what's going to take place. And so as you're turning to Matthew 17, let me just give you a little bit of context that I think will help us understand what's happening in this scene because you can't understand Matthew 17 by divorcing it from ch uh, chapter 16. 
And so as you, as you look at what's going on, this, this theme of identity, who is Jesus, is a, is a common theme in these chapters. And there were all kinds of different perspectives, all kinds of different thoughts about who Jesus was. Some people said, well, he's John the Baptist. And other people said, well, he's Elijah. Uh, some others said he's one of the prophets. And, and so last week, Dustin walked us through uh, this scene in Matthew 16 where Jesus posed an important question to his disciples. And he said, well, who do you say that I am? And Peter, he said, you're the Christ. You're the son of God, right? And what happens right after that begins to challenge Peter's expectations because what Jesus begins to use is language here that is different. Jesus starts talking about this element of suffering and a death and a resurrection that he's going to have to go through. And he's talking about this high cost of discipleship and losing one's life. And it just wasn't registering in their minds because they had this idea that the Messiah, the Christ, was going to come in this glory, right? Uh, that, that they couldn't reconcile. How could suffering and glory go together? How could they partner with one another and, and Jesus is going to realize I need to help correct and bring their expectations in sync with reality because everything up to that point had kind of been miracles and the crowds and excitement about this buzz about being around Jesus. And everything just wasn't quite making sense. And so they were asking questions. I mean, how, how do we know that he really is who he said he was when he's talking this way? I mean, how can we risk everything, our, all of our lives, how can we risk everything to follow him? Will his promises of, of a future reward really ring true? And how do we know that? And see, Jesus understands their questions, and he has an answer for them. And it's called the transfiguration here, Matthew chapter 17. Look with me, starting in verse 1. It says, six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up on a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his garments became as white as light. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them talking with Jesus. And so Matthew begins six days later, six days after Jesus had said, and some of you who are standing here will not taste death until you see the coming of the kingdom of God. And that prophecy in 1628 now becomes true within a week's time as Peter and James and John are led up by Jesus to a mountain uh, to see something and get a front row seat to something that they've never seen before and it was absolutely blow them away. And Peter and James and John, as they went up to this mountain, saw Jesus transfigured before them. And that's the key word here. It's a word where we get our English word metamorphosis, where we use it to describe the change that happens between a, a tadpole becoming a frog or a, a caterpillar becoming a butterfly. Uh, it means a change in form, and it's, it's the same word that Paul uses, Romans chapter 12, a couple of familiar verses uh, where he says, don't be conformed to the patterns of this world, right? But be what? Transformed by the renewing of our mind. So I'm about a change. There's a change that's required in what Jesus 
uh, is, is going through is a transfiguration in front of these men. It says his face shone like the sun and his garments were as white as light. And this, this wasn't a change. It was because this, all of a sudden this big external light or a spotlight came down upon Jesus from the heavens, okay? Much like some of these lights that shine down here uh, on the, the, the praise team or on me at this moment. You know, it's not that there was an external light shining down that, that made all this. This was an inside-out transformation. This was the glory of God that was within that had been veiled during Jesus' incarnation to most everybody. I mean, they saw things like miracles, but they didn't really see the full extent of the divine glory as these guys are getting ready to experience. And I love Tony Evans says Jesus he zipped down his humanity to reveal his, his, uh, his glory that was divine. And so it's this not an outside in, but an inside out shining of this glory. And so it's given, this, this says it happens before them. Okay, this transfiguration happened before them, as in in front of them. And this was for their benefit. Because what Jesus wanted to do was to authenticate his identity for these particular men. And there's going to be three proofs here in our text to prove uh, that Jesus was indeed who Peter said he was. And the first one is his proof uh, of his appearance changing. His face shone like the sun, his garments as white as light. This idea of this Old Testament Shekinah glory. It's a word white when it describes uh, his clothing became uh, whiter in another account than any launderer could make them. A dazzling white. It's always used in reference to angels or saints who have been glorified in heaven. And so Jesus undergoes this radical change. And it says in verse 3, Behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them. And it says they were talking with Jesus. And so the first proof is a change of appearance. And here's the second. This is the presence of two of the greatest Old Testament uh, figures uh, in all of biblical history. You've got Moses and Elijah, and you go, well, why these two? Well, Moses was the lawgiver. Elijah was the prophet and a staunch defender of the law. And so you've got the law and the prophets of the Old Testament here in the presence of Jesus, and it's as if God the Father is saying, here is my son, which he'll say in just a minute, but he, Jesus, has fulfilled the law and the prophets in him. That's what he came to do, right? And so this picture of these men who are talking with him, Luke's account, this is a, a story that's found in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And if Luke, in Luke's account, he talks about what the content of their conversation was. And he, Luke says he was talking about Jesus' departure. It's a word, exodus, the way out. And so they were talking about this idea of Jesus' uh, impending death. And, um, and that is going to come before his full glory is, and, and deliverance is going to be provided through his resurrection and before he comes into the full glory of the future kingdom. And so this is just a preview here in verses 1 to 3, but as he moves on to uh, verses 4 and 5, there's this gracious reminder uh, that happens with this voice that comes from heaven. It says, Peter said to Jesus, look, it's, it's good for us to be here, Right? Uh, probably the understatement of the, of the New Testament. Uh, it's a really good to be here, Jesus. Um, I don't know what else to say, but it's, it's good. And uh, if you wish, I'll, I'll make three shelters, three tabernacles, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. 
And what Peter uh, says here, he's right about what's happening, but he's wrong about a couple of things. He's right about what was taking place, but he was wrong about the fact, first, the timing of the coming of the kingdom was still future. This is a preview of the coming kingdom of Christ uh, in all of his glory. And when Peter heard them talking about Exodus, he had in mind biblical history, Israel's Exodus uh, out of Egypt into the wilderness and its deliverance to the promised land. And when he hears them talk about this Exodus and he hears uh, and understands that, hey, look, I'm going to build these shelters. This Feast of Tabernacles is what he's thinking about. It was the last of their annual celebrations, and they would build these shelters and be in them for, for days and then come out on the last day, and there would be a time of celebration. And this Feast of Tabernacles in, in prophecy had a lot. It anticipated uh, a lot of, of, of kingdom analogy, kingdom conditions. And so Peter's thinking, this is, this is it. I mean, now, now is the time. It, it, this, is, this is the fulfillment of the feast. Um, our Israel's way out of, of all of this. And what he didn't realize is that what they were talking about was Jesus' death and the way out of, of his being in bondage during his incarnation from the humanity and the sin that he was going to take upon himself and also how he was going to provide deliverance for you and me through what he was having to go through. So that's the first thing. The second, he was wrong with equating Moses and Elijah. And I think something that's said here, when this voice comes down out of heaven, kind of affirms that Jesus is here. And as great as Moses and Elijah were, they were here. And so what you've got going on here is, is Peter just basically, he didn't see the bigger picture of all that was going on. And, uh, and what he's needing to understand is when Moses, in the presence of Jesus, this voice is going to come down and say, listen, you got Jesus here, you got Moses and Elijah, guys, listen to him. Listen to Jesus, okay? You need to pay attention to what he's saying. And this voice that comes down says, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. So you've got this, this bright cloud, Matthew says, that overshadowed them, and this voice that comes out begins to speak to them. And clouds uh, in the Old Testament were symbolic of God's presence, of his, of his protection. And in the New Testament, clouds are associated with the second coming uh, of Christ. And so here, this voice is a third proof to authenticate that Jesus is who he said he was and repeats the words that were spoken at Jesus' baptism. And uh, this is my son. I'm well pleased with him. Listen to him. And he's reassuring the disciples that despite the fact of what's coming down the pike, okay, that despite the fact that Jews are going to reject him, despite the fact that the Romans are going to execute him, the presence of what he's having to go through and this death, don't associate that with the Father's displeasure. This is all part of God's spiritual reality of what needed to take place. And so as you come to uh, verses 6 through 8, uh, Matthew continues and says, When the disciples heard this, they fell face down to the ground and were terrified. And Jesus came to them and touched them and said, Get up and do not be afraid. And lifting up their eyes, they saw no one except Jesus alone. And so even though that term, it talks about uh, them falling down on their their faces to the ground and were terrified. That's a word that sometimes can mean reverence, but I think the context here means they were literally shaking in their boots. These guys were terrified about what was going on because Jesus then comes up and says, listen, get up, guys, don't be afraid. 
in my presence, there's no room for fear. This would be a place of calm assurance. I want you to understand. You just saw this glory revealed. I want you to understand things are okay. And so he tells them at the end uh, to get up and don't be afraid. And when they lifted up their eyes, they heard his voice say that. It says they saw no one but Jesus alone. So the clouds are gone. Uh, Moses and Elijah are gone, right? The glory that they'd seen is gone, and they're left just staring at Jesus, almost as if looking at him for the first time in light of who he truly was, the king of glory. And so I, I have a, a, a friend, a pastor up in Detroit who... Uh, who said, you know, when you think about the transfiguration, it's, it's a pretty amazing story, you know? Uh, you look at something like this, much like you might look at a lot of miracles in the Bible and say, did that, did that really happen? I mean, how, how can we know that really happened? And some of us are doubters, and we need, just like, you know, Thomas, and we, we need to have some proof, those three proofs that were given of authentication. But for us, how do we know it really happened? And he just says this, you know, historically, uh, Peter was martyred under Nero. He was crucified upside down. And if you read Peter's letters in the New Testament, he speaks of two things that gave reason as to why he was willing to die. And as our sermon series is titled, Follow Christ to His Cross and ultimately beyond. And the first reason that Peter said he was willing to do that is he had seen the resurrected Jesus. He saw the resurrected Jesus. And you know what the second one is? We saw his glory. Second Peter chapter 1, 16 through 18 speaks of the transfiguration and what Peter, how that solidified things were made, he says, made more sure. There was a certainty and understanding because what he had seen, y'all, changed his life. Jesus underwent a transfiguration, but Peter and those disciples, they were undergoing a change in what God was doing in their life because of what he was revealing uh, to them. And so, you know, I think in light of that, in light of the fact that Jesus was indeed the one, in light of the fact that Peter was willing to give his life up, not just for a prophet, but for the one Messiah, for the Christ, what does this have to encourage or say to us uh, today, And I just simply want to say, I don't mean for this to sound too simple or simplistic, but as Paul said earlier, our goal today, and I think what God wants to encourage us in through this passage, is that we would see him. That we would see him. Because the Bible is about him. It's, it's about Jesus. We all need a clearer vision of the glory of Christ. And, and just as I said a moment ago, when the disciples saw this, it changed them. And when we see Jesus for ourselves, it changes us too. And one of the ways that we do that, that we see him, is in his word. It's in his word. God has something to say to us that he wants to reveal, to continue to reveal through time and history. And he's written that message down in a book. And that's one of the ways that we can see him and making it a priority to regularly, consistently spend time with God, trying to see Jesus in the pages of Scripture and how all of the prophecy points back to him. Another way is, is just taking time to, to create some space. It's a challenge to do that sometimes. But um, 
we've got to find ways to reflect, to get some things off of our plate because it's hard to listen to what the Holy Spirit wants to say when, you know, our mind and our ears are so full of the busyness of life, right? You guys understand. But taking time and making that a party, that's one of the reasons that our family's gone to camp 10, th- 10 times in a row. We thought when we heard people tell us they'd gone 12 and 13 times, we thought we were getting involved in some kind of cult. <laughs> and we're like, this is our first year. What about y'all? Well, we've been here 14 years. And we're like, really? You guys come back 14 years in a row? And here, here we're a family has been 10 times. And you want to know why? One of the reasons why is because it gives us this time to reflect and to assess and, and to, to look at, okay, what's going on in life and what's God saying to us? And it's super, super important. The leather is we see Christ in other people. We've got to be in context with a few other folks. And they'll help us see Jesus too. We'll see him in them and the presence of the Spirit of God in a, in a place just like this of community full of believers is so critical to helping us see him. And you know what? When we spend that time things like in the Word or taking time to reflect or being around other people. You know what it helps us do? It helps us to do this. It helps us to adjust our spiritual expectations to be in keeping with spiritual reality so we can face whatever that reality is with a sense of hope and encouragement and not live a life full of constant discouragement and disappointment. Yeah, we're going to be discouraged. We're going to be disappointed, right? And I'll share something about that here in just a second, but But the reality is, even in the midst of hardship, it changes our perspective. It gives us a sense that, you know what, things are going to be okay because God is in control, because God is the king of glory. And just as he went through struggle, so we're going to have to too, but that's not our ultimate destiny. Our ultimate destiny awaits us in glory. We sang about that, right? And that sang about this king of glory who has us on a journey and, and we're not home yet, right? That was a theme at camp this year, not home yet, right? And so we adjust our spiritual expectations in keeping with the realities. And so as I wrap up, I'm just going to mention really quickly to you three of those spiritual realities that I think are important for us just to keep in mind, just to log away that helps temper our expectations when it comes to the spiritual life. And number one is oftentimes our present suffering is God's pathway to future glory. Our present suffering can be a God's pathway to future glory. Listen, there are a lot of reasons that we struggle in life, okay? One of the reasons is we just live in a, a world that is broken. It is messed up, and we, uh, we reap that in our life experience because of the brokenness and the sin that is pervasive, right? Sometimes we struggle, or we may suffer because we make poor life choices. Because with every choice, there's always a consequence, And sometimes we just have to live in the midst of that. But sometimes struggle and suffering may come because God actually allows it or he decrees it for our life because it's for our good and for our growth and even for the good of other people. You guys remember that story? Maybe some of you teachers in the room or work with young kids might remember going on a bear hunt. Remember that? You can't go over it, right? You can't go under it. You can't go around it. You got to go what? You got to go through it. And the reality is sometimes we just got to go through it. Even if we don't want to, we just got to go through it. 
but we'll come out okay on the other side. You know why? Because what God says is it, he can take all of those things and bring them about for good. I love 2 Corinthians chapter 1. It's a great chapter, and people in my own life or others that I'm ministering to that are going through trouble because Paul, the, probably the greatest uh, New Testament figure besides Jesus, and he wrote most of it, uh, he went through a laundry list of stuff, and you know what he said? He said, God allowed us to go through that for a reason. And he said, the reason was so that I wouldn't trust in myself, but that I trust in God. He learned dependence. James chapter 1 says, trial is good for helping us to build a character of endurance. And it matures and completes us. Uh, and so sometimes God allows us to go through struggle for the sake of other people and open the doors of opportunity for ministry. I came to Christ through a, a, a gentleman named Cleve McClary. Some of y'all have probably heard him speak and are aware of his story. Was a soldier in Vietnam that lost his eye, lost his arm, and took 30 surgeries to put his body back together. And he became an itinerant evangelist, and I heard him, got to know him uh, during my college years, and, and was led to Christ because of what he had gone through, the suffering and the struggle that God redeemed and opened a door of opportunity for him to be a minister and that opened my eyes to my need for Christ. And, and sometimes God lets us go through struggle because he's going to use it, 2 Corinthians 1 again, so that we can comfort those who have been through the struggles that we've been through, that we've kind of walked in their shoes and can relate and understand. Second, uh, we can have hope in the fact that we have a glorious future in Christ. Proverbs 13, hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. You know, we live in this world with a sense of delayed gratification. That's just reality. And we have to wait for some of these things that Jesus has promised. And it's hard to wait. I, I, I mentioned the first hour, I think next to learning to be someone who can forgive, Learning to wait is one of the most difficult things a Christian can do. It is for me. And so I think that idea of, of um, recognizing we have a glorious future, that hope that we long for, that we wait for, when it does come to pass, it is going to be a tree of life. I love Tony Campolo has a sermon, if you've ever heard it. It's called, It's Friday, but Sunday's coming, right? It's Friday. It's tough but resurrection's coming. There's a better future. We have a glorious future in Christ. Lastly, we have the Holy Spirit with us now. Listen, it's not just about our future. It's not just about saying, well, hang on and endure because one day it will be better. Yes, we need to preach that message because that's in keeping with what Scripture teaches. But listen, we have hope today. We have hope today because God has actually taken the glory of God and he's put it in us. That's the beauty of the New Testament. In the Old Testament, they had to come to the, to the temple. They had to come and, and experience the, the presence of God, the glory of God behind the Holy of Holies in a place. And what God did in the New Testament, he flipped it all upside down. He said, rather than having to come to the temple, I'm going to put the Spirit of God in you so that wherever you go, the gospel goes. Right? The glory of God that's within us. And you know what it says about the Holy Spirit? The Bible says he's our helper. That we don't go through life alone. Even though sometimes we may feel like we're going through life alone, he is the paraclete, literally the one who comes alongside us in life. He is our counselor, meaning he gives us wisdom when we don't know what to do. 
the Holy Spirit will guide us in wisdom. It calls him our comforter who comforts us that through whatever comes our way, especially in those times we experience the reality of discouragement and disappointment. And you know what? Some of you guys are feeling that today. But I want you to be encouraged because God has given his Holy Spirit to help comfort you. And so one final question that I'll ask before I pray, and it's this. Where's your focus today in your life? What's going on right now? Where, where, where are your expectations in light of spiritual reality? Are, are they pretty close? Or are your expectations far from reality? And I hope that this week you'll think about what Jesus was trying to do in the transfiguration to help them understand, to bring those expectations in keeping with reality, but also in the same sense to raise their expectations for what was to come, that there's hope. There's hope for you and me, that in the midst of our, our doubts, our fears, our disappointments, our deepest wounds, there's one place to look. And folks, it's, it, 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 it's not... Uh, it's not to look at religion. It's not to look at our behavior patterns. It's not to look at political figures. Uh, it's not to look at modern-day prophets who say they have answers but truly don't. Our focus is to be upon one person, the one that God said is the Christ, is the Messiah. The great hymn says, Turn your eyes upon Jesus and look full Look full this week into his wonderful face. And when we do that, the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and his grace. Amen? Let's pray. Our Father, thank you for your faithfulness to us and for this transfiguration story and for how you not only revealed your glory to these men, but Lord, how you have for many of us in this room revealed just the reality of who you are to us that opened our eyes to see our need for the gospel. That you didn't leave us without hope. And so God, I pray that that we would be able to catch a glimpse of you and all your glory. That would reassure us this week that no matter how we came in this morning, no matter what the circumstances of our life may have been, you are the king of glory. We have the Holy Spirit in us. We have a glorious future. And Lord, help us to understand that even if we struggle in the moment, it's temporary glory that we will see and share in with you is forever. So Father, thank you. We love you. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said.